Okay, cool. So I'd imagine it will start something like this. Good morning and welcome to episode one of Across the Pond. This is our kind of weekly podcast, I think, that we're going to be, uh, you know, going on from, from now. And uh, yeah, basically, let's, uh, let's just, it's a welcome episode, really. So uh, I think purpose for this episode is for us to just really test out this, this setup, see if it works. Um, and, uh, and essentially, once, once everything is working well, um, turn this into kind of a weekly offering. So yeah, basically, let's, uh, let's introduce you to my co-host, Barry. Barry is uh, linked up via Skype uh, in Johannesburg, South Africa at the moment. Barry, how are you doing today? I'm very well, very well. I'm excited to be here and excited to get this going. How are you doing, Chad? Yeah, no, all good, all good. Uh, Barry was just saying how he's uh, kind of still recovering from a bit of jet lag. Um, has really been doing some globe trotting around. Uh, yeah, I mean, what w- w- were your last few movements, Barry? Uh, I've been out of the country about a month. Uh, so I started off in Amsterdam. Was in Amsterdam for about a week, which was amazing, and then headed across to the US and spent about two and a half weeks in New York, and then another week in San Francisco. So I got back on the weekend a few days ago, and so that ten-hour difference is really hitting me at the moment. I'm still in a bit of a daze, but we're getting there slowly. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, I think we'll actually come back to that because uh, something later that we we're talking about is actually a book called While We Sleep, which which touches a little bit on. Um, on on the, the sort of concept of of jet lag, but b- b- before then, let's let's go into uh, yeah, basically just a, a brief welcome of, of, about the podcast. So as I said, uh, I think we're going to kind of do it in a sort of weekly format. Um, Barry, do you want to do you want to kind of introduce yourself and you know in terms of your your kind of professional background and uh, and yeah. Sure, sure. So this is always a difficult question um, because I kind of see myself as doing a lot of different things. Um, But my name is Barry Maurice, uh, born and bred in Johannesburg, South Africa, and uh, kind of went through my studies and whatnot and studied accounting and ended up qualifying as a chartered accountant here in South Africa, but never really felt like that was my actual like uh, reason for being here. And, I, and it's one of those things I did because of the business skills that I learned and I, I tended as, as an insurance policy against what I want to do. But really what I want to get into is entrepreneurship and, and small creative kind of projects. So I, I'm doing a lot of work at the moment with uh, local South African entrepreneurs, taking them on overseas immersion experiences to see various tech and, and whatnot around the world. So I'm really enjoying that part of my life. And then I'm also moving slowly into the field of artificial intelligence. So that's kind of my interest at the moment and my, and my fascination so i'm busy doing my masters in ai ethics and then looking to work with various ai companies um, on policy work on things like consulting and that kind of stuff in that space so a a wide range of stuff Um, i also love sports and music so i've got a ton of different things that i like doing Um, but that's a little bit about me so I mean, I I take a massive amount of inspiration from from Barry. We actually met uh, doing our APC course. Uh, you know, also studying towards being a being a chartered accountant. Um, I also finished that qualification, and uh, to date, I have been uh, in accounting roles. But I've I've also kind of a bit similar to to Barry, I suppose, in kind of not 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 deeper down something is a little bit restless type of thing um and so i'm i'm still kind of trying to trying to get to the bottom of that um i've also got you know massive creative interests got a bit of a youtube channel going on i've always been into kind of website design photography videography that kind of thing um and so yeah i think it's i think it's just a matter of of finding that balance between um you know doing doing what what you really enjoy um and and ultimately being able to pay the bills as well but yeah ultimately that's that's pretty much uh, all you need to know about me for the moment um so yeah that's us uh, we we we're going to kind of be co-hosting this thing um in terms of the framework about how you know how these shows are going to happen on a weekly basis so we we've kind of split it into a couple of sections so i think let's let's just kind of talk through those briefly um the first being yeah. the week that was um, so really, we're gonna we're gonna pick one or two items that uh, you know are, are kind of noteworthy off of the past week. Um, you know, this is not gonna be just a news podcast, um, but we, we're certainly gonna talk about things that are topical. Um, stuff I found interesting, kind of anything that that we came across during the week, whether through you know generally reading books, looking at pod, looking at uh, articles, um, scrolling through the web, that kind of thing. Um, that's that's the second section. The third one is is looking ahead. So we're really going to be looking at uh, future developments. Uh, technology, I think, is 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 kind of one one of the key focuses here. So we, we'll we'll be talking about uh, kind of new, new gear and uh, 
less specific than that, uh, kind of just movements, general technology movements as well. Um, and then the last two, um, you know, the last two, d- develop and grow. So we, we want to kind of have a, a segment here where we we are kind of all striving to be better people in uh, w- whatever sort of way that, that may be. Um, and then last but not least, the what's on your mind section. So really just to, to kind of get some feedback from the listeners and uh, and yeah, in anything you really want to want to ask. So is there anything you'd like to add there, Barry? No, I think that's a good way to start. I think those are the segments that can be the, the generic framework, but obviously these conversations are very wide-ranging and they're going to go wherever they're going to go. Yep. So the idea <laughs> is that that kind of just gives us a few guardrails to get us started, especially if we start this journey. Um, yep. But these conversations are just two guys getting together and discussing the things that they find interesting. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was because often in our day-to-day conversations, we don't have real deep conversations about interesting things. That's true. A lot of it is shallow and service level. A lot of it is kind of just what did you do today and that kind of stuff. So this is an opportunity for us to chat about things that are a little bit more interesting, a little bit more in a little bit more depth, and have some fun as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Sounds amazing. Um, okay, so I, th- I think let's 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 dive into it so that you know we we don't take up the whole the listeners' whole day on on our first episode. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's let's talk about the week that was. Um, you know, this kind of stretches beyond a week, but I think uh, you know very very topical at the moment for for both of us. Um, I, th- I think the one thing that we actually haven't mentioned yet is uh, that you're in Johannesburg, South Africa, and I mm. am in London. Um, so I think. That's why that's why we Barry came up with with the the phrase across the pond. Um, this very very unconventional podcast. You know, generally you would you would kind of be in the same room, um, but yeah. yeah, we are genuinely covering both sides of the globe, um, which I think also also <laughs> adds an, a dynamic uh, in, element to the to the podcast. Definitely, and we actually we actually got it wrong with the time zones this morning. That's that's how far across the pond we are. So we're trying to get the time zones right as well, which would be a good good exercise. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, for, for for those that kind of haven't haven't travelled to uh, to the UK much, uh, there's a concept of daylight savings. So basically, uh, it, it's either an hour or two hours behind. At the moment, we're two hours behind. Um, so yeah, Barry's. It's currently twenty past uh, eleven Barry's time, and uh, yeah, twenty past nine on my side. So. Let, let's let's go ahead to the week that was. As I said, it stretches a little bit beyond a week, but um, I think massive news for both of us at the moment is South Africa winning the Rugby World Cup. This is our third World Cup, and uh, yes, please, uh, yes, please. I think <laughs> a moment of celebration there. Honestly, what what a great game! It was an amazing game. I haven't seen such a one-sided final in the last few World Cups. And for it to be South Africa as the underdogs, I mean, all the bookies were were betting on England. And uh, the smart money was on England. And we came out and really showed them uh, what the Boca can do. So it was a a great win, yeah. 100%. I mean, looking at their game, uh, you know, the the, the sort of week before, um, they really played the game of their life, um, you know, beating beating New Zealand. an incredible, incredible game. I, I honestly was was worried about about the final, um, but you know the boys just pulled together, and I think defence was noteworthy. There were a couple of occasions yeah. where you know they were right on our try line, and we we managed to to hold them back. So really, really well done to to the boys. I mean, incredible, incredible game, and uh, j- j- just just an incredible uh, a cup. I think to watch across the world. Uh, you know, being in Japan. Yeah, also, also I think that, that, that that's a good point about the New Zealand game. I felt like England's final was that New Zealand game. So they gave their everything to that semi-final and they yeah. came into the final obviously thinking they had the World Cup uh, sewn up and uh, they were wrong. 100%, 100%. So Barry, being in South Africa, obviously you, you were not there when, when this happened. Uh, I mean, wh- when did you actually watch, watch the game? So I ended up watching the game in a bar in San Francisco, starting at like 4 a.m. in the morning or something silly. Um, so wow. basically, there was, there was only there was only basically one there was only one bar in the whole San Francisco that was actually showing the game. No way. So I got together with some of my South African friends. We went there, and what happened was they actually weren't allowed to be open because everything needs to has to close at 2 a.m. in San Francisco. So the bar owner had to go to the police and get permission to keep the bar open in order no to ser- in order to show the game. But then also the bar because of that the bar wasn't allowed to serve any drinks so what happened was we had to get there before 10 p.m so that they can make their money off us and we had to buy all the drinks and, and whatnot at, t- at 2 a.m they kicked everyone out the bar no way cleared all the glasses cleared all the tables and then if you had a wristband because you were there before 10 p.m you were allowed back in wow. so throughout the whole game no one could order any drinks not even water so beers obviously not but not even waters nothing it was a completely dry bar um but packed to the brim with with springbok supporters and and pommies and just had an amazing time with people from all around 
around the world who are obviously either from England or from South Africa originally. Um, and just having that experience was much, much better than sitting at home and at 5 a.m. on your couch uh, kind of yeah. to watching the game by yourself. So it was an amazing, amazing experience. 100%. That, I mean, that, that, is, that is a creative way of getting around, uh, you know, bar legislation type thing and uh, j- just just a massive relief that I guess you, you got to watch the game and there was a bit of Ghez there with Ghez uh, by the way just kind of meaning uh, you know general festivities and good vibe uh, in, in Afrikaans yeah. uh, one of the South African languages um, but yeah I mean similar similar to your story I, I was actually in, in Bergen in Norway and uh, we, we managed to find an Irish pub because rugby's not not massive in Norway. Um, but luckily, there was <laughs> there was one Irish pub that was hosting the game. And uh, amazing to be honest, I was I was shocked at the number of South Africans in Norway. Um, there's obviously a, a you know a big university there that you know draws quite quite a few guys kind of our, our age. Um, but 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 I mean you know the the age group was was kind of through the spectrum and uh, just really nice to be able to see a bunch of South Africans. Uh, you know, so far away from home, and uh, you know, we we just kind of it just feels like we we would be back there again. That was the best part for me is is realizing that you can go like thousands of miles away and connect with somebody on like a real deep level just because you're from the same country. 100%. And so just seeing that green Springbok shirt, everyone was hugging each other, were becoming best mates in no time, <laughs> even though you're thousands of miles away from where yeah. you where you should be, right? And 100%. also one of the best experiences for me was after the game going onto my Instagram stories and watching all my friends all around the world doing similar things in pubs, in bars, yeah. all around the world, from Japan right into Europe, into the US in South Africa obviously Definitely. and watching them all celebrate with, with Springbok supporters that was really really special absolutely amazing and I mean now that you've now that you're back in South Africa what's, what's, the, what's it like on the ground what, what's it like there I mean I've heard there's an energy in the air you know it's, it's, it's kind of it's done so much for us in the past um, just in, t- in terms of kind of uniting a nation um, wh- wh- what are you feeling on the ground yeah, it's been a really important thing. I think that South Africa in the last kind of couple of months has had a really tough time um, with various various political issues, various social issues, and the, the mood in the country has been a little bit cynical and a little bit like yeah. a little bit sad in a way. And that this kind of hopefully is a catalyst for us to turn or turn it around and kind of move forward as a country. And so what I mean, obviously I wasn't here when it happened, but just coming back, you feel that that unity again. You feel that hope again, that optimism. 100%. And yeah. so um, and so that's what that's what sport does, right? Sport enables a country to come together and say, okay, cool. We've gone through a period that's been really, really tough and gone through some really tough things, but how can we move forward as a, as a country, as a people, and kind of come together across races? I think what, what Sia Khaleesi did for the, the, the country and what he represents as the first black South African captain yeah. was fantastic. And, th- and that kind of set the tone for this post um, apartheid post kind of um, all this racial issues into a one South Africa that the Springbok captain can be a black person from the townships who's really gone up and, and made it in the, in, the, in the world stage. 100%. I mean, let, let, let's delve into that a bit. Um, I mean, let's talk about Sia Khaleesi. Um, you know, a Western province player originally, as far as I know, um, you know, a really inspiring guy, um, you know, kind of from the beginning. He's always had such a good energy about him, such a positive guy. And, uh, you know, when he was appointed captain, I think everyone was just, uh, you know, overwhelmingly happy. And, uh, I mean, how much do you know about his story, Barry? Yeah, so I... I've, I didn't, in, in fairness, I didn't know much about it beforehand, right? So I'm not a huge rugby supporter. I only kind of watch the Springbok games and I, I don't watch much of the domestic stuff. But after after this World Cup, obviously I've been reading all the stories and hearing all the, the emotional stuff about where all these players come from. And, and Sir Khaleesi is the, is the standout story there. Um, coming from a very, very rural background um, and the way he's kind of handled himself throughout this campaign, the way he's led the country and kind of all the, pro- the post-match press conferences he's given have been incredible. He's spoken yeah. with such humility about where he came from, what he needed to do to get to where he is today, and what that means for the rest of South Africa. As far as I understand, his story is that he, he, he grew up very, very poor in kind of the rural areas um, and had, had some raw athletic talent, yeah. um, but didn't have didn't really have the, the way to, to use it or the way to utilize it. And uh, somewhere in, his, somewhere in his, his childhood, he came across an opportunity to play some, some rugby for, for a, a, a little township kind of idea and got, kind of got caught by one of those big uh, South African rugby schools yeah and went into this this giant predominantly white public um, or pr- sorry private rugby school um, that then pushed him to become a better and better and better rugby player yeah and kind yep. of turned him into the player that he is today um, and and that kind of by grabbing that one opportunity he's t- turned his entire life around his entire family's life around and has like kind of 
become that role model for young black players who are, are seemingly in very unfortunate positions yep. to actually grab an opportunity and go for it and become the kind of player that Sierkulisi is. So he's okay. a fantastic role model. I think he's a fantastic story for our country. I've been a little bit worried with the way that people have been using his story as kind of a, a rags to riches type type thing. And, and, and sometimes when people get a bit carried away with all of this stuff, they forget that he's actually an incredible rugby player as well. 100%, so it's not just yeah. about the story. He's like, he's like a world, world-class rugby player and 100%. he's like, led, led us with a plum. And uh, it's got nothing to do with his story. He deserves to be there on merits. And, and that's what's really special is that all the transformation work that's been happening since 1995 yep. is starting to come to the fore. And when you look at guys like Mapimpi, you look at guys like Yankees, yep. you look yep. at guys like Chesen Colby, the guys coming through are really coming through on merits and are becoming world, world-class rugby players. I mean, that's you're completely right there. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he needs to be respected as as a world-class rugby player, which is which is what he is, and and a world-class captain, as you said, just the way he's kind of conducted himself uh, in in press interviews and and just pulled the team together really to, to 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 pull off an amazing feat. So let's just quickly touch on that again. So you you brought up Mpimpi. Um, I, I think Mpimpi also a great a great example um, of of you know coming from a rural area. However, this week I came across a, a YouTube video where where an EFF member was uh, really really just kind of trying to take down the notion that uh, Khaleesi has done something incredible because of the fact that he went to a you know private school which which you say uh, I mean as you said it w- was kind of majority white um, I mean are we kind of getting lost in the real the real kind of spirit of, of what, what's happening here should there be any distinguishment uh, between what school the person went to um, or you know, should we still recognise that it's an amazing feat that somebody from a rural background is now representing uh, South Africa on the world stage? Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the tendency in a lot of South African politics at the moment is to to find racial things wherever they lie, no matter how little or how insignificant they are, right? And so, like you say, it's an incredible achievement. We should celebrate him for the rugby player that he is and the, and the man that he is, regardless of the school that he went to. Um, I think that taking an anecdote like Sir Khaleesi, which is just that, it's just one person who's managed yeah. to get to the top, right? It's an anecdote, and then trying to make some sort of macro claim about the country is very, very dangerous, right? I think that a lot of, in a lot of times we use one story, we use one example, and then we assume that that, that dictates the rest of the the rest of the data, right? And so I'm sure there is there is a conversation to be had around um, these white public schools and how much influence they have on national sports and national politics and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure there is a conversation there, but it's not around Siakulisi. Yeah. Right. In my mind, Siakulisi is a spectacular rugby player that grabbed the opportunity that was given to him and ran with it and and built himself into the man that he is today. And we should celebrate that. We should celebrate the fact that he has become the Springbok captain that will go down in history as 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 a real great. And and that is really special. And regardless of his color, regardless of his background, regardless of his history, that's something we should celebrate as South Africans. And the fact that the fact that he is black means that he's going to be a role model for so many young people yep. in this country. Hundred percent. They can actually get up and grab the bootstraps and get and move forward in this country and so that's really special and to to focus on his school to focus on the upbringing there obviously is a conversation there but i don't think it should be right now i think right 100%. now we should celebrate the fact that circulisi led us to world champions 100 percent, 100 percent. okay cool let's uh, let, let's maybe then move on to our, our next uh, the, the, the next item on the week that was uh, which is the uk general election coming up um so i mean obviously i'm i'm kind of based here in the, in the uk um but have been you know doing a bit of traveling and stuff i mean we, we, i suppose we've, we've all kind of come across brexit and uh, you know for, for the last couple of years and it's been this thing that has been kind of just dragging on and dragging on um and uh, you know kind of going back and forth and uh, you know where we are now is uh, there's going to be a general election in december um you know labor versus the conservatives again um, you know, w- w- what is your take kind of looking on from, from South Africa, um, you know, on, on the U- UK politics system? It, it, <laughs> from the outside, it looks like a zoo. It really does look <laughs> like a zoo. Um, when I, so obviously I've been following Brexit for a while because it, it's been a very interesting demonstration of what democracy looks like in the 21st century, right? And, and taking this difficult economic decision that has such huge economic impacts and giving the decision-making power to, pe- to a lot of people who don't know what they're doing, right? Yep. Who don't know what they're talking about. And uh, all the propaganda and all, ki- all the kind of messaging that came around the various Remain or, or, or Leave kind of parties um, have been very interesting to see what does democracy really look like when you give this kind of decision to a mass population, majority of which don't understand the implications. 100%. And so it's been fascinating to watch that. And, and 
I mean, it's nowhere near finished. That's the funny part. It's been going for years now, and it's nowhere near finished. Um, we still don't have any clarity on what's going to happen. And I think the world's getting a little bit tired of, of Britain fighting over this, right? Yeah. Especially the EU. The EU, make, make a decision, right? Either agree to our terms or do your own thing. Like, there's no there's no real reason to be fighting like they are. Um yeah. And watching the Parliament's videos, I, I've had this fascination in the last little, last few weeks is watching these compilations on YouTube yeah. of like ministers going mad. And basically, like what's really funny is that in the British Parliament, obviously everyone has to be super posh and super polite and the language is very, very well respected yeah. Yeah. and whatnot. But there's this underlying argument and un- underlying like nitty gritty that brings out some of the wittiest insults I've ever heard in my entire life. And watching these guys insult each other under the guise of being polite and under the guise of this posh British language is just hilarious. It is. Um, And so (laughs) I... I, I struggle to keep up with it. I don't quite know what's happening because it changes every single day and uh, you can read various sides of the story that give you different ideas. But what does it feel like in the UK? Like what is what is the, the, the mood on the ground there? 100%. I think, I think you're, you're completely right. I think the world is, is kind of sick and tired of this thing that keeps just dragging on. And uh, f- from where I'm feeling, it's kind of, it's kind of the same in, in the UK itself as well. Um, but basically, you know, kind of just to, to, to kind of touch on the high level notes, um, you know, for anyone who, who kind of needs, needs an update on the situation as it is, because I think, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we're not going to kind of spend the whole show on this, um, you know, we, it will probably keep going on for a, for a long time. And so, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll kind of just, uh, tip the highlights at, 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 at every point. Um, but, but I mean, basically where we're at now is, uh, you know, Boris Johnson was able to agree a deal with the EU, um, but it hasn't passed parliament, um, um, so essentially what you know what his plan was there is to call this general election um, in the hope that you know they can, he his party can get the majority um, and you know pass this deal through Parliament get brexit done which is kind of one of his key mantras um, and uh, and ultimately close this thing off um, so yeah I mean essentially that's that's where we're at at the moment um, the, the sort of biggest opposition party the labor party is is kind of uh, they they really want to um, kind of call on a second referendum um, and as you said, again, give that power to the people again, now that they can see the implications of their decision, um, their decision, which, you know, was, was kind of just a, a yes or no, really with, uh, you know, no options for what that would look like, uh, which I think is, is the, yeah. the, the, you know, the kind of the, the biggest hurdle here. So, um, essentially that's where we're at, we're at at the moment. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens on that general election. And, uh, yeah, certainly in terms of the, the, the propaganda and stuff coming out now, I would highly recommend you to, uh, to watch Boris Johnson's, uh, you know, conservative party, uh, promo clip. Um, cause it is, it is hilarious. Um, less posh, less witty. Um, you know, he kind of gets asked <laughs> whether he prefers, um, fish and chips or, um, or a Sunday roast uh, type of thing. Very relevant questions <laughs> in a, um, in a race for, for who gets to, uh, you know, r- rule out in parliament. Um, but yes, quite, quite funny. And we'll, we'll, we'll certainly follow, follow it along. So Barry, why don't you take us on to the next section today? Yeah, sure. So the next segment is stuff we found interesting. So this is just a, a hodgepodge of random things we've read or watched or, or learned about in the last couple, last little bits. And so we'll start with a book that, that I, I was reading on the plane on the way back and I posted on my Instagram story, and Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep. And then I got a message from Chad with a photo of his book that he was reading at the same time, um, yeah. which was hilarious because we didn't know that we were reading the same book um, and it worked out perfectly. So yeah, I, I just finished it the other day. Basically what it is, Matthew Walker is a, a PhD student in neuropsychology and in sleep science, right? And he runs a sleep institute in the States and is probably, I would say, the world's leading expert on sleep. He's spent the last 30 years of his life working on sleep and trying to understand why we sleep, what is what is important about it, how do you improve it, how do you fix a lot of the health conditions that come from, from sleep uh, issues. Um, and he put together this book that is basically a, a manual to understand the A to Z of sleep. Now, sleep has been something that's been kind of stigmatized in the past by the productivity community and, and guys like Elon Musk and, and, and these kind of guys who, um, if you look at the successful people, a lot of them will say they barely sleep at all, right? Yeah. And they work as hard as they can, and that's what allows them to be successful, putting in more hours than their competition. And this book kind of pushes back a little bit on this and kind of echoes what Ariana Huffington did in her book, Thrive, talking about how 
it's actually it's actually a mistake to to cut down on your sleep and think that the extra hours are going to give you extra productivity. Yeah. It's basically the, the conversation is quality versus quantity, right? So in the hours that you're awake, how much quality work are you doing? How much important work are you doing? And what are you sacrificing in order to get that extra amount of sleep? Yeah. If you're sleeping four six hours a day, um, four to six hours a day, you might have more hours working, right? So you might be working 12, 13, 14 hours. But those extra hours you should be sleeping are probably, you're, mentally you're probably tired, you're fatigued, you're not working as efficiently as you could be, and the, the trade-off there is maybe not right. And so what this book tries to do is it tries to argue for a, a, a life where you focus on your sleep and you make sure your sleep is of high quality, that you get your eight hours every single night, and dispel some of the myths that come for around how do you catch up sleep, for example, right? So like someone like me, I used to always, I'll sleep very little during the week because I'm, I'm pushing and grinding, working as hard as I can. And then I think I'll sleep in on Saturday and Sunday and I'll yeah. catch up that time that I missed out. And this this book, for example, just shows that, no, 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 that doesn't work like that. Yeah. Uh, you can't just catch up sleep debt like that. Uh, you actually need to have a regular routine where you're getting your eight hours every single night. Um, okay. So that's kind of what I took out of it. What did you think about it, Chad? So enjoy to, it? to be completely honest, um, I, I kind of go on the naughty list here. Um, I, I haven't finished <laughs> I haven't finished the book. <laughs> Um, it, oh, I see, it, I see. It's, cer- it's certainly not one that is a kind of light read that you kind of take along to bed and uh, you know you, you you definitely start getting sleepier as you as you read it but I think <laughs> I think f- from where I am uh, in the book uh, it certainly you know it certainly is insightful um, and uh, just like you say um, you know kind of the, the, the key message being that you, you need that kind of religious um, sort of re- repetitive similar cycle of, of sleep you know don't don't change it up too much. Um, and and we we've seen a couple of initiatives like for example the the bedtime feature on the on you know your Apple Clock app, which is yeah. trying to really you know make it make it kind of accessible in a visual way, um, you know that that you you basically are are thinking about these things. Uh, you know we've got activity trackers as well these days that you know track our sleep and people are becoming a lot more interested in this. Um, but yeah, I mean I think. Some of the key things that I've taken so far from from, from the bit that I have read, uh, speaking about your jet lag bit earlier, I found that incredibly interesting. Um, so this is the little stat that I took out of it, which is for every day you're in a different time zone, your super, sorry, let's just say this again, your suprachiasmatic <laughs> nucleus can only readjust by about one hour. So, I mean, how, how many days has it been since you, since you got back? Um, you know, what was the sort of time difference? And, you know, does that kind of explain why you're still catching up? Yeah, so I've been back around four days or four and a half days now, um, right. and the time zone difference was ten hours. So I'm clearly yep. not there yet, and I, I do feel that I, I do feel I don't I don't feel 100 percent yet. I was in a meeting yesterday, and I kind of zoned out at one stage, and I couldn't figure out why I was zoning out, and I realized okay, it's my brain is just confused, right? Yeah, I think I think jet lag. A few a few important things for me is that one, it's very very dependent on the on the person, right? I've had people who've got such wide ranging experiences when it comes to jet lag. Some people really struggle and they take like a good week and a bit to to get themselves right, and other people seem to be able to do it in a day or two. So I think it really yeah. depends on your 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 biology, but also it depends on the 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 kind of things you do on that flight or before you leave your your original um sure. location to get to the destination. So. I've done, I've, I've done a lot of travel over the last kind of year and I've gotten a lot better at, at fighting this jet lag by simple things like hydration is super important. Yeah, simple yeah. things like trying to sleep in the right time zone. So sleeping in the time zone that you're going to, not the one that you're in. 100%. So there's various things you can do to try and trick your body into getting that body clock fixed quicker. But the reality is that you're never going to feel great when you arrive and it's going to take you a while to get back to 100%. Um, and, and that kind of science you spoke about just shows that how long it can take, right? If, yeah. you, if you really are struggling to, to gain an hour every single day, it can take you a good two weeks to get back to where you should be. 100%. I mean, I, I, I took two other, two other bits out of uh, the, the, I mean, the, the, the piece that I have read. Um, I think I found this incredibly interesting. I mean, I, I personally am not a, a drinker of, of coffee and, and caffeine. Um, but just the way that that Matthew Walker speaks about caffeine is 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 interesting to me. Um, you know how he kind of mentions it as uh, you know one of the biggest drugs in the world that is not regulated, not not kind of uh, you know your your yeah. consumption of it is not is not governed. Um, and he 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 really does explain how it uh, it basically masks one of the one of the hormones that that basically generates sleep pressure. Um, so 
I mean, yeah, essentially, he, he basically says that the, the average half-life of, of caffeine is kind of five to seven hours. So a lot of people will have it before bed. They'll have decaf as well. And, uh, you know, what, what he mentions is, you know, decaf still contains 15 to 30% of the caffeine content of, uh, you know, full fully caffeinated drink. Um, and, you know, because you've con- consumed that before bed, um, it's going to take five to seven hours for half of that to exit your system. Um, and so although you might not feel it, it will certainly affect you in, in some way um, in terms of the quality of your sleep, like, like, like Barry was saying. I mean, didn't you find that quite an interesting one? Yeah, I really did. I think that it it kind of puts a lot of the myths aside as to when you should be drinking your coffee. Yeah. I, I think about the number of my friends who will go out for a dinner and fin- the dinner will finish at 9, 9.30 in, in the evening and they'll have a coffee after dessert, right? A cappuccino, yeah. whatever the story is. And it's a really nice thing to do at the end, end of a dinner. And you just wonder, as you said, when you look at that science, you realize, oh wait, that caffeine's going to be in my system the whole night. Yeah. It's going to disrupt my whole night's sleep. I'm going to feel worse the next morning. Um, it it kind of makes you think about when you should be in, when your caffeine should be be being drunk, right? Or when you should yeah. be in, t- in taking caffeine. 100%. And 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 like you, I'm not a huge caffeine person myself, so luckily it's not a huge thing for me. But I have a lot of friends who can't function without it, right? They can't yeah. function without it, and they've become so dependent on caffeine that in order to work, in order to get themselves going in the morning, in order to stay awake, say in the afternoon slump, they need that cup of coffee. And this book kind of pushes back on that and says, maybe you should uh, think about what, how dependent you are on this, on this drug. 100%, 100%. So just, just to touch back on, uh, you know, the Elon Musk and the various kind of literature that's been released in, the, in recent times, uh, you know, about kind of maximizing the time you have in the day and, and seeing sleep as, as, as kind of a, a waste, if, if you'd like, of, of time and how he, he kind of challenges that concept. The, the very sort of interesting kind of scientific uh, explanation he gives behind it is is your your REM sleep, right? So when we talk about quality of sleep, REM sleep being the, the, the one of the kind of key bits um, where you know your your kind of memories of the day and all of that kind of thing uh, you know happens and 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 your sort of neural connections uh, you know start to to kind of tra- transpire in in that in that sort of section of sleep. Um, the the thing that I found very interested is is his explanation of how REM sleep is reloaded. So if you sleep, for example, six hours as opposed to sleeping you know eight hours you're actually you know although you're kind of only missing out let's say 25 percent of total time slept um the kind of REM sleep lost is around 60 percent um which which i found really really interesting um you know because as as you say you you know you kind of don't don't really think about it much you know you know i i'm only missing out on 25 percent of sleep meanwhile the, the kind of productive part of sleep and, and the sort of reason why we, we do sleep, um, you're actually missing out on 60% of that. And I think that's where a lot of the sleep science has really started to get our intuitions and, and like fight our intuitions about what sleep should be. Um, 20, 10, 20 years ago, none of the science was around, so no one understood this kind of stuff. But all this work that these guys have been doing to understand the science has given us these insights, like you say, and, and completely agree. Like It's really it's really tough to think that, that last, those last two hours actually hold a lot of the value. And if you're not getting those last two hours, you're actually shortchanging yourself more than you think you are. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So now you you found another another interesting bit to to chat about in this segment. Um, and to be honest, I haven't actually looked at it. So, you know, why, why don't you why don't you talk us through that? Yeah. So don't worry, I, it's it's super long. So I wasn't expecting you to even look at it. Um, basically, my 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 favorite blogs. I read a lot of blogs, right? My yeah. favorite blog by a long way is a blog called Wait But Why which is a blog by a guy called Tim Urban. And what he tries to do is he tries to take very complex subjects um, that a lot of people don't understand and split it into very easy to understand concepts and language. And it's very humorous, it's very satirical, it's very sarcastic. And it's got a lot of these amazing hand-drawn like stick figures yeah. that kind of show you what's happening in, 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 in the various thing. Yeah. So I would recommend the blog um, wholeheartedly. So go and read everything he's ever written. He's amazing. <laughs> but the, his most recent work has been a... It's hard to call it a blog post. It's like a giant book that's been split into various pieces. And each piece is, I would say, at least 30,000 words. So it's basically a giant book that's being released in a series. Um, and the, the book is trying to explain, basically the thesis he started with was, how do I explain the Trump phenomenon? Right? How do we explain the polarity and the kind of nonsense that's happened in the world based on polarity of, of ideas and kind of ways of thinking? How can, how can America be split so like crazily between the left and the right. 
And so she talks about critical thinking and why do we believe what we believe. Um, and basically the series is digging down into various things like why do we have values that we really hold dear and where do those values come from? Why do we only agree with things that uh, pr promote what we believe already? So confirmation bias, where does that come from? And why do we feel the need to attack someone if they disagree with us and not actually be able to have a decent conversation, decent debates? Yeah. And so he tackles a lot of the difficult sociological and um, kind of psychological things we're dealing with as a country and as a world based on the fact that we, we struggle to now have conversations with people that disagree with us, right? So how do we talk to someone on the other side of the aisle and not see them as a villain, not see them as uh, an asshole, not see them as someone who, like, is wrong, yep. but actually be able to say, maybe I'm wrong, maybe what I believe isn't right. And yep. uh, having the humility to actually say that is very, very rare these days, especially in politics, especially in leadership around the world. Yep. And so the series is doing an incredible job. I think it's on part eight at the moment. Um, and I'm just loving it. And so I just wanted to share it with, with, with people. Um, I think it's really worth reading, even though it's super long. Like download it onto your, onto your laptop and read it offline um, if you can. Uh, it's, it's long, but it's well worth it. That really, I mean, that, that really does sound, does sound interesting. It's, it's, it's all about that thing of, you know, why, why we hold a position rather than kind of, you know, communicate openly, kind of uh, think laterally, kind of, you know, open up our world um, in, in terms of the realm of possibility rather than just holding a, a, a position. And I mean, I haven't read this particular series, but I, I did read a, a Wait But Why, um, you know, blog post about how to find a career that, that actually fits. And I think even in that, sort of series which you know is, is probably about a 45 minute read um you know he kind of does encourage you in that section to 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 question why you why you are how you, you know why you are the person that you are um and as you say just the the, the sort of uh, sketches and uh, kind of humor there is is absolutely hilarious hilarious um so yeah, yeah. I, I i definitely definitely will will be reading those Great, great. Go, go get on it. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Uh, so our next section is is looking ahead, and uh, I, I was just scrolling through uh, the you know the BBC news feed, and I came across this article about an app, uh, basically a cell phone app, um, that is you know fueled by artificial intelligence. Uh, obviously, Barry being the artificial intelligence guy, um, you know, I, th I thought I thought <laughs> I don't this... know if I'd say that. So I don't know if I go that far. <laughs> this you know this this would be a great one to to chat about together. So essentially. Um, it, it's an application that was able to identify when somebody was feeling suicidal um, and has, you know, essentially prevented that by, you know, referring to the right places. So, yeah, wh wh what did you make of this article, Barry? I think maybe we should explain how, how it made that decision, right? So as far as I understand, Chad, you must correct me if I'm wrong, but based on reading that, that article, um, I think that the way that they pulled up uh, that this person was potentially suicidal was by reading their posts on an app called Weibo, which is like the Chinese Twitter, for example. Um, and they had found a few posts on, on Weibo, which, which kind of hinted towards that person's depression and that person's... Um, looking to, to commit suicide yeah. and then it it, it 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 figured that out and kind of pulled that information and gave it to humans who were able to then go and intervene and actually like save that person's life and so yeah. it's an amazing story of technology working in the way that it should to to produce a result that would never would have been possible if we weren't all online and all sharing information yeah so that's kind of the context, and this is a this, this is a very rare story because a lot of the stories about AI at the moment are, are very much fear mongering and very much talking about how the robots are going to come take all our jobs and destroy the world and yada 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 yada. And this is a story where AI is actually like produced a real social good. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's awesome. I think it's very interesting. Why I think it's interesting is that because this this kind of story articulates the key debate at the moment when it comes to privacy. The only the only way this AI was able to to provide this prediction or provide this insight was because it had full access to everybody's information that they were 100%. sharing online, right? Yep. Yep. And so, so this person was sharing this information publicly um, for for the world to see. And while it was anonymous on her side, because I believe it was in more like an anonymous chat room, from Weibo's side they could see who was posting it yep. and they could see like what what the story was. So. It kind of brings up this this argument of we're gonna if we want these kind of benefits we have to give up all of our information all of our online postings everything must be able to be seen by an authority figure by a company by a government etc. And and the moment you say that 
you can you can see the dangers that come with that kind of sharing. Hundred percent. Like, yeah. are we willing to give up privacy completely in order to get these sorts of benefits? Like, what are the dangers of of coming up with this sort of surveillance? And it's it's scary. I really think it's scary. Yeah, completely. I mean, as far as these sort of conspiracy theories go, because I mean, it it, it is it is sort of uh, you know it, it's kind of limitless, really. I mean, we all walk around with, you know, cell phones that have Siri. The microphone is constantly on, listening for yeah. a, you know, hey Siri kind of, uh, oh, I've actually just called mine off. Whoops. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry, it's it, it's still it's still going the side. Let me just quickly turn that off. <laughs> I mean, you know, we've got sort of Alexa and Google Home. Um, we've got, you know... Th- th- it's kind of limitless in, in terms of how far these conspiracy theories go. This is sort of information that we are not publicly sharing, but that you know theorists believe uh, is accessible uh, through through some platforms. As you say now, if, if if we if we look at other data and and data that is uh, publicly you know published, um, what 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 is the risk? And I mean, if if we were to kind of take this as far as it could go, I mean, how how bad do you think this this could get um, in, in terms of us dis- us assessing whether that risk is worthwhile uh, in in terms of reaping a, a benefit like we have seen here? So I think the most dystopian view future is the 1984 future by George Orwell, right? Where he predicted, well, not predicted, but wrote that not that that groundbreaking novel where he talked about what would it look like if the government could look into every single part of your life. Right. Yeah. If they could, if they could, if could look into your 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 phone camera, your laptop camera, your your microphone and your computer, your microphone and your phone, uh, everything, every email you send, every text you send, etc., and build a governmental system that is full surveillance, so it has a hundred percent look through into your whole life. The danger is that that information is powerful, right? The data is power, and in a twenty first century world, whoever has the most data wins. Like data is the key asset that everyone's trying to protect. And do we trust large organizations or large governments who have been shown to do nefarious things in the past? Do we yep. trust to give them all of this power, right, and all of this information? Um, and while it may provide us some services that make our lives a bit easier, it might make our lives a bit better, it might give us some some positives, giving up this freedom and giving up this, this privacy is really a difficult step to take because what we've seen in the past. Human beings, when they have incentivized, um, like, things that they, they're trying to incentivize profits or incentivize growth or incentivize their own pockets or whatever the story is, they tend to go rogue sometimes. And it's a huge risk, I think, to take that risk and give away privacy completely yeah. for the sake of a few apps being a little bit better. Um, but I, I feel like I'm in the minority here. I feel like when I look around the world, everyone is willingly giving up the information left, right, and center. Yeah. People willingly give their data away, willingly share the stuff online. And I'm not sure if it's because they don't care or they don't understand the implications of what they're doing. Um, yeah, I, so I, I don't know what to think about that, Chad. Yeah, so I mean, I, I definitely think it's 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 the latter. I mean, if 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 you look at myself, um, you know, I I I kind of probably am in 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 that bucket that you you just mentioned. As I said, you know, I've got a smart home assistant in the house. Um, I have you know a Dropbox account, a OneDrive account, a um, you know you you name it, and. Um, you know, kind of, even if you take something as simple as, as Google Photos. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever used it or not, um, but it does. It does I have, bring I do, yeah. an incredible amount of convenience. Um, but the sort of other side of that is Google has access to my emails. They have access to my photos, which has, you know, facial facial recognition. It, it, it actually has that software in it. Um, it is able to recognize, for example, if I, if I search trees, it will show me every single photo that I have, uh, you know, that has that has trees. It has, you know, location data there. Uh, it can certainly pick up trends and certainly has, uh, you know, gives gives this company uh, an, an extra dimension to to my data. Um, but as you say, I kind of, you know, I have a friend who's been challenging me on this as well, um, who, who who kind of sits on the other side of the table. But uh, yeah, I mean. I think for, for me, it's it's kind of you know what is what is the worst thing that can happen for me, um, and and uh, yeah, I I probably need a reality check on that. Look, I think I think that the genie's out of the bottle, right? So I think it's naive to think that we all of a sudden are going to pull back everything, we're going to pull all our information back and our data back. So um, I think it's. The conversation needs to be more nuanced than just privacy or no privacy. It needs to be how are these companies being held accountable for the way they use our data and ensuring that they're using it in ways that promotes 
the, the benefits of these particular products and make our lives easier and are not able to use it in nefarious ways, right? So that's where the conversation needs to go. I think one of the reasons it's so difficult to talk about and so difficult to understand is because a lot of the implications are so hidden from us. They're so like invisible. If we look at the way that Trump got elected, the way that Cambridge Analytica used Facebook data to manipulate the way people thought about certain issues, and that changed the political view, it changed the result, it changed a a political party and it changed the country, right? That impact of the algorithm, the impact of being able to target based on that specific information is invisible to 99% of people who don't understand what they're doing. Yep. And so how do we have an intelligent conversation when these impacts are so hidden and they're so baked into the AI itself, based into the algorithms that we use every single day? I think I think that Hollywood's kind of done, done a disservice because it's kind of painted the AI picture as a robust versus humans future, yeah. which is I don't think is I don't think is realistic. I think that the AI is already here. The AI, AI is already baked into the algorithms that we use every single day. Yep. If you are someone in Central America in like one of the rural towns who is using Facebook to get all of your news, you don't read anything else other than your Facebook feed, Facebook controls what you think. 100%. Facebook controls the information that you receive, and that is based on some data you've given to Facebook about what your interests are, what you like, etc. And this kind of goes back to the Wait But Why post, talking about why we believe what we believe. And often it's because we've just never come across evidence or someone who disagrees with us, and so we live in this little echo chamber, and it means that our views never update. We never change what we think, yeah. and how can we ever get to some sort of truth or some sort of like wisdom if you're never going to challenge what you think from now or from when you were 20 or from when you were 18. 100%. Yep. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, definitely, definitely not the last time we're talking about this. Um, 100%. <laughs> I mean, okay, let's, let's move on to the next thing, which is, you know, develop and grow. That's our kind of next segment. And I feel like we've already, we've already uh, added so much to this in terms of, you know, not holding a position and, and, and kind of some of the other things we've spoken about already kind of, uh, you know, make us a better a better person we, we've already talked about sleep um so we've kind of probably already, already covered this but um let's add some extra stuff um so it's a bit soon but i but i thought you know what uh listeners to this podcast i think it's time to kind of implore everyone to start thinking about the new year goals now it is it is a cliche you know this whole new year new me phenomenon um but i mean let's face it it, everyone kind of comes across it uh, you know you get to december the first and all of a sudden kind of want to start with all of these resolutions and uh you know i i actually think it's a it's a really positive thing i i certainly am not hate, hating on the phenom phenomenon but i do think if we kind of use a bit of you know use a bit of thought forethought and start thinking about um what those resolutions and what those new goals are going to be now um so that by the time we get there it's not kind of just impulsive uh, you know, let's get a new gym gym membership like everyone does, and then you know, kind of never, never, never goes. Uh, you know, f beyond the first couple of months. Um, so yeah, what do you think about that, Barry? Just to kind of get started on this uh, now and and kind of have a productive, uh, you know, view of of what the goals are for the next year. Yeah, so I I agree. I think what I think about goal thinking is that we need to think beyond goals and and think as to like systems we're putting in place to achieve things we want to achieve, yep. right? So a goal is like an outcome we want to get to. And so we say to ourselves, cool, I want to have a six pack by September 2020. And that's kind of the goal, right? Yep. Um, and and that's it's very noble. And you're sitting on January 1st and you're in the gym on January 1st and you're feeling amazing about yourself. And you're like, cool, it's on the way. <laughs> Um, but you get to January 15th, you get to the end of Jan, you get to February, and you probably haven't been to gym since then, right? And so one of those things that life gets in the way, we have to be realistic about the fact that a goal you set now, life is going to get in the way, and there's yep. going to be things that are going to be in your path. And so I, I, I think about it as building systems. How do I put a system in place so that even when things are in my path, I have other alternate routes? So for example, if I go and get my gym membership, but then I'm traveling in February, do I have a, a plan B for what I'm going to do in while I'm traveling to ensure yeah. my exercise routine stays on track? And so I think it's it's more than just the goal. The goal is the starting point, but then it's understanding what are the small steps you need to take in order to make sure that even when those obstacles come, because they will, right? Yeah. So prepare for them. 100%. And what is the system in place? What is the plan B? How do you get around those obstacles? The more thinking you do around that, the better you're going to be in keeping your resolutions. And that's why it's important to do it now and not on December 20, 28th, 29th, right? It's important to give it some time to think about it so that you can actually plan, cool, 
What do I want to achieve in 2020? Yep. What are the systems I can put in place? What are the habits I need to build in order to get that right? And then the goal takes care of itself. If the system is in place and it works, then the goal takes care of itself. 100%. This is kind of like a, um, to, to kind of not not overcomplicate this, um, you know, both of us coming from a, a CA background, this is kind of like setting up those internal controls, really. Um, so, you know, <laughs> when, when, when you've got those <laughs> internal controls set up, um, you know, kind of, it, it, it all it all happens uh, you know you, you you kind of get to that ultimate goal um, and yeah that's a, a good way of thinking I know I've, I've actually never really thought about setting up systems so I'm definitely going to start uh, the work on my side as well um, and then I mean you've added an extra dimension to this which is uh, you know taking those goals and kind of giving yourself accountability through social platforms uh, can you expand on that for us yeah, sure. So um, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of sharing my stuff online. I think as a lot of my friends know, because I spam them with a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, but all my various projects and all my various thoughts and ideas and writing, I, I try and share them online because it kind of holds me accountable for what I think and what I believe and that I'm actually creating things in the world. I, I, I find it baffling the number of people who don't have a blog or some sort of way of sharing ideas and, and thoughts and their projects online. Um, it, 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 I really don't, I don't understand why people don't do it because for me, I've had such success with it. Um, it gives me the social pressure that I need to push through on things that are difficult. To give you an example, um, I, I've always wanted to write a fiction book, right? And that's always been a, a goal of mine and it's never something I've ever been able to do. I've always started and started and started and, and never really followed through. And the first time I was able to actually finish a full draft was because I vlogged the whole experience. I went online and I said, I made a video and I said, friends, family, hold me accountable. I'm going to try and write a book and I'm going to give you updates every single day. And what that did was it meant that it made me feel guilty if I didn't write that day because how was I supposed to get on the video and say to my friends and family, oh, I was procrastinated and I was, I was lazy today. And that kind of social accountability is a really powerful behavioral change tool to get done what you want to get done. And so it doesn't have to be video, it can be written, it can be on your Facebook, it can even be to yourself, it can even be like in a journal. But sharing that process on paper or, or outside of your head just forces you to be a little bit more realistic about it and honest with yourself. And that honesty is hard to find because we find a lot of ways to rationalize to ourselves, or to find excuses or to make, make excuses for why we haven't done what we should have done. Yeah. And when, you actually are, when you're public with it and when you're um, sharing it with people you care about, all of a sudden those excuses don't fly anymore. 100%, 100%. I mean, you finishing that book, that, I mean, that's an, that's an absolutely amazing personal achievement. And I think, as you say, holding yourself accountable. I mean, I've, I've kind of read, read about this phenomenon before in, in men's health, you know, of, of kind of starting a Twitter page and, and you know, kind of posting, posting whatever it is that you're doing um, so that, you know, there is, there's a support network there that, that, that kind of holds you accountable. Um, you know, even, even just the mental kind of headspace that you're in as well is, um, you know, you, you're kind of constantly thinking, well, if I don't do this, you know, I'm going to kind of look like a twit because I've promised everyone that I'm going to do this. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's an incredible idea. And, uh, and uh, I mean, talking about our previous point of, of, of sharing more things, um, you know, this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, dovetails into that again. But, um, you know, certainly... Certainly, I think I think holding ourselves accountable, making our goals public, um, starting a vlog, doing that kind of thing, um, always a good idea. And also, it's not just the negative guilt. It's not just the negative stuff. It's the opportunities that I've found through sharing the stuff that never I never would have found beforehand or have yeah. been, been amazing. The friends that have got behind you, the people you've connected with on a similar interest, like there's a lot of positive. It's not just the guilt stuff. It's also the positivity of finding people around the world who are into the same things that you are. 100%. I mean, yeah, I mean, both of us obviously a, a big, big fan of, of Casey Neistat. And I think, I think, you know, his whole process of when he started his company, vlogging the whole thing, um, you know, kind of led him to, to sell it to CNN for, I think it was $26 million or something like that. So as you say, kind of, uh, aside from the, you know, the, the, the negative, uh, the negative aspect uh, in terms of you know your, your your own self guilt and that kind of thing there are definitely other positives um you know that that come from doing something like that cool um in terms of the next section uh, this is the what's on your mind section so obviously this is our first episode we don't have any listeners as yet so i just kind of reached out on my personal uh, you know social media um in terms of what's on everyone's mind and i got three responses with the exact same question <laughs> Um, I'm so excited for this one. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> so the question is, what happened to Chad's drone? 
Um, dum, and, dum, dum. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. and uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, this is quite an interesting one. So, I mean, as, as Barry said, you know, the, the, the people have spoken, everyone wants to know. So, uh, you know, what is the answer? <laughs> um, so basically, uh, to give a bit of context to, to anyone who doesn't, doesn't know me, um, I was basically just in, in, in Madeira, um, this last week. And as I said, I've, I've got a YouTube channel, uh, early on in this, in this episode. So I basically do travel vlogs whenever I'm kind of out and about and, obviously a user drone um what better way to kind of set the context of, of where you are what you're doing um you know what what the world looks like from from up above and um we had i basically i was with my mom and we had we had just done a hike uh, it was probably about 5k's uh, to the end so essentially if you can kind of picture a snaking of islands um you know we kind of did the hike from from the beginning all the way th- you know through through this uh, beautiful cliffs um you know really kind of high cliffs um absolutely scenic um you know kind of just did this hike all the way to the end um and then basically on the way back i thought you know what i haven't taken up the drone this would look pretty cool um you know let's let's give it a bash and so having had this thing for for two years having done multiple flights all successful kind of backing myself in in this in this uh, you know in this kind of setup uh, took off and uh, yeah, had no errors, nothing. Everything was everything was good. It was all green, um, and basically, it started ascending uncontrollably. So, <laughs> so as you can imagine, I'm I'm there with the controller in my hand, got full line of sight uh, with this drone, and it is ascending uncontrollably. I am trying my best to bring it down, put on sport mode, which which kind of you know shifts the the motors into another gear. Um, and actually lets you go <laughs> to sort of 60 kilometers an hour if, you, if you're if kind of just going straight. But 60 kilometers an hour? It can go 60 kilometers Jeez, an hour fast. in sport mode, yeah. But for sure. some reason, I could not bring it down, uh, no matter how much I tried. Um, and essentially, uh, you know, this is not actually that eventful. Uh, you know, I think people will be quite disappointed. Um, but essentially, it, it then after that did a glamorous backflip out of the sky. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And fell probably fifty or sixty meters below me uh, into the ocean. Um, so that is the answer. That's what happened to my drone. Didn't you make a rescue attempt though? So yes. Uh, okay. This should have happened probably on the same day, but uh, <laughs> two, two days later, my mom said to me, "You know what? Why don't we just give it a bash?" Um, there's a there's basically a boat that uh, that that does a scenic route. Um, really kind of kind of skipping through the hiking bit so there's only really one way to get to this location and that's through hiking the other is uh, you know through this boat so let's take the boat let's ask the guys if uh, you know if we can kind of go to the place where the drone actually fell and uh, and and find out if you know maybe maybe we can we can find it um, not for the drone because obviously it's electronic and it would be completely useless at this point but there was a memory card in there that contained all the footage of the days prior and uh, I hadn't backed it up. So I thought, you know what, not a bad idea. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, so we, we get onto the boat and two incredibly nice people. Um, you know, it was just the two of us on, on this boat. The boat can normally take about uh, 20 people, but it was just the two of us. So, you know, they were very kind of giving with their time and that kind of thing. The lady handed me a, uh, you know, sort of scuba, sort of snorkeling uh, mask with the, you know, big snorkel coming out of the front. Um, and, and she said, yeah, go for it. So... I went and dived in, um, absolutely terrified, <clears throat> of, out of the, <laughs> absolutely terrified out of the big, the big sea with, uh, you know, literally depth of of sort of eight meters. Uh, there I am with no proper gear, in kind of just board shorts and this uh, snorkeling mask, looking for this drone, um, which is actually hilarious because there was like no possible chance at all that I was going to find it. Um, but you know, you have to, have to kind of give it a go sometimes. You got to give it a go. <laughs> you got to give it a go. <laughs> and, and to be completely honest, it was kind of one of the most beautiful, uh, sites I've ever seen really. I've done a bit of snorkeling in Thailand and that kind of thing, but this was incredible. And the lady actually, when I, when I kind of came out the water said, you know, you're really privileged to have done that. It's only really fishermen who get to see what's underneath the waters here. Um, and so obviously I wasn't really focusing on the fish. Um, I was kind of trying to, not notice the massive crabs that were chilling on the rock next to me because um, I'm terrified of, of, of the sea, to be honest. Um, but anyway, <laughs> a funny story nevertheless. And uh, yeah, now everyone knows. 
<laughs> the, the people have now got the information. The people now have the information, and I think they'll be they'll be pleased to know that I've uh, I've kind of placed an order on the the, the new model, um, which is the Mavic Mini. Um, that's actually been released. Uh, you know, I think it was actually last week, really. Um, mm. It's 249 grams, so it falls below the sort of civil aviation authorities, uh, you know, registration parameters in in a large number of uh, of, of countries, and really just a clever way for a company to kind of get around that, um, you know, by by making the weight one gram lighter than the the kind of starting point. So very excited for you know using that in the future, um, and you know we'll, we'll we'll see how how good the footage is. Sounds good. Yeah, I, I've seen I've seen a few video reviews of that of that drone. It looks incredible. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what you do with it. Amazing. Sounds good. Cool. I mean, I think I think that brings us to to the end of our first episode. I mean, uh, how was it for you, Barry? Yeah, well, it's good. It's it's certainly challenging to to keep keep it up. I think it's going to be interesting. We we're going to learn a lot. We get a lot better as we go along. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot a lot of fun, and so I'm looking forward to to doing a bunch more of these. Sounds good. Well, I mean, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, we, we, we are kind of figuring out how we're going to publish this and, and all the rest. I think we've, we've taken a bit of a video feed, so we're going to try and publish that as well. As I said, it's our, it's our first one. So, you know, we, we, we're going to not be too ambitious, but well, I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd love to hear some feedback on, on our, our first episode. So if you could, uh, you know, give us some feedback, whether that is through, you know, w- whatever channels uh, necessary, um, that, that would be great. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm certainly looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Please let us know. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, find us online, basically everywhere, whatever channel you, you prefer. <laughs> um, and, and, and if you really like it, then please make sure to listen up and subscribe and do all those things. Fantastic. So that was Barry Maurice and, uh, I am Chad Sturley and, uh, thanks for tuning in to Across the Pond. Pond.